Hi, my name is Francesca Gino, the author of Rebel Talent, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Have you ever wondered how some people find new business opportunities while your people seem to be following well-worn paths? That's neither fun nor productive. Sometimes you've got to shake things up to get ahead. As one Eskimo sled dog said to another, if you're not the lead dog, the view gets old fast. And you're in luck today because my next guest, Francesca Gino, discusses with me ideas and examples from her book, Rebel Talent, why it pays to break the rules at work and in life. I really enjoy the reminder that if your work is not a source of inspiration, it's a source of frustration. Francesca tells wonderful stories to illustrate her points. Listen in and learn more. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Francesca Gina. Francesca Gino is an award-winning researcher and teacher and a tenured professor at Harvard Business School. Her consulting clients include Bacardi, Disney, Goldman Sachs, Novartis, and the U.S. military. She's been honored as one of the world's top 40 business professors under 40 and one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers. Her work has been featured on CNN and NPR, as well as in The Economist, Financial Times, New York Times, and Psychology Today. We're here today to discuss her most recent book, Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules at Work and in Life. Welcome, Francesca. Thank you, Bill, for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be talking to you. Thank you. For me as well. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? There are many different people who really played quite a role in inspiring me or broadening my mind. Uh, but one of them is my dad. My dad was a person who always uh, pushed me. I had images of studying in my studio, and he was uh, there in the back reading a book. And whenever I was studying out loud, he would ask me questions and always made sure that I engaged deeply with whatever it is that I was studying. And he was also a person who pushed me to go outside of Italy, actually. So I grew up in a very small town, but thanks to his job, he had the opportunity to travel across Europe, and you learn that when you travel, you see different perspectives, you see different cultures, and you value that. And so he always told us uh, to make sure that we took on whatever opportunity to travel outside of Italy, and I think that that was valuable. Describe what inspires or guides the direction of your work today. I have been always fascinated by our human nature, and I spend a lot of time in organizations talking to leaders, talking to employees, and trying to see if there are puzzles uh, that capture my attention. And for many years, I studied rule-breaking in, in the moral sphere. I was looking at people who cheat, steal, and lie, and I studied why that happens and what organizations could do to fix misconduct and cheating at work. And I began to notice a different side of rule-breaking over the years, which was breaking rules in a way that was constructive rather than destructive. Um, so looking at people who do not lie or cheat, but instead they rebel, they break rules in a way that create innovative ideas and, and innovation. And so I started exploring it, and the project ended up in the book. 
how long did it take you to conduct the project, say from when it when you started noticing these things and started a folder to when you began writing the book and said, this is actually something that I want to pursue as a project to actually bring the book to publication? So if I think about the research behind the book, uh, the journey is long. This is probably almost 10 years. Uh, but then I can remember vividly the time where I said, I'm going to write the book. I was uh, walking in a local bookstore in Cambridge, and I saw a book that caught my attention. It had an interesting cover. It was Merlot. And then I picked it up, and the title was Never Trust a Skinny Italian Chef. And being Italian, I was really intrigued. So I felt through the pages, and it became clear to me that this was not your typical recipe book. There were pictures of beautiful dishes, traditional Italian dishes, but they looked nothing like the type of dishes I grew up with. And the book told the story of a chef, a chef Massimo Bottura, who studied traditional Italian recipe very carefully, but then decided to reinvent them and came up with his own versions of these recipes. And he did that in a context, if you know anything about Italian, where people really cherish their old ways. And there are also a lot of rules about uh, the way Italian cooking works. And he opened his restaurant, and his restaurant uh, now has three Michelin star, and also it's the restaurant that in 2016 became the best restaurant in the world, and then again this year in 2018. And so his story was very inspiring. And when I learned about it, I really said, I'm going to write this book. And then soon after, I had the proposal. And writing the book itself took me about a year. Didn't you, I remember reading in the book that you actually went over to Italy to the restaurant for, to write one of the case studies. Was that the same restaurant? Yes. So when I learned about this story, I reached out to him since I was curious to learn more about him, about his leadership, about his business. And he agreed to a phone call, and then there were a few more phone calls. And I told him that I wanted to write an HBS case study. So these are, uh, imagine a 10-page document that they're then used in the classroom to teach certain lessons to students and executives. And after a few calls that I had with him and his staff, he said, look, if you really want to understand the business, you've got to come to Modena and be here. And when he suggested it, I was like, of course, <laughs> first, it's an invitation to go to Italy. Right. And so <laughs> I'm not going to say no to that. It's an invitation to a three-minute restaurant. I'm not going to say no to that. But uh, whenever we write case studies, you usually visit the business and have interviews on right there in the city where the business is. So I was ready with my notes, with my questions for everybody um, working there. And when I arrived on my first day of the visit, I uh, basically received an apron. So I was put to work for the entire day. And it was just quite an amazing experience, not only because I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> as I was working in the restaurant, but also because it kept me, it kept making me think, why is it doing that? And who would do that? And so it was just another example of this unusual way of doing things, uh, like putting an HBS professor in a three Michelin star restaurant serving food. So what did you learn about what his, what was the, the method behind his seeming madness to put you in that position? Did he talk with you about it and 
give you guidelines? What was it that nope. you hoped that you would learn? <laughs> or is it just trial by fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nope, no guidelines. I was just asked to work for the day and feel free to talk to anybody uh, I was working with, which I did. Uh, but most of the time was really focused in trying not to make too many errors. I think what the experience taught me was a couple of things. First, seeing uh, a little bit of the behind the scenes in the makings and workings of a very successful restaurant and a very successful business. But then also seeing how everybody uh, who worked there was fully engaged. And that was striking to me because if you look at a lot of the evidence that organizations like the Gallup organizations or some of my, my colleagues or um, evidence that I collected, for many people, despite the fact that we spend a lot of time at work, work is not a source of inspiration, it is a source of frustration. And he created a business that not only was very successful and not only a business that was based on the idea of doing things a little bit differently, but also where everybody was fully engaged. And so he um, raised a lot of questions of how it is that you can do that effectively, even if you are in a different business. So I know that a lot of people listening to this have employees and they want them to not be rebels, but to follow the rules because the rules have been established as guidelines and the rules have been established as best practices. What do you say to business owners who are looking to have more alignment rather than rebellion? I would say that rebelliousness has a lot of advantages for businesses. And I would also say that we tend to think about the rebels the wrong way. We seem to have a very fixed idea of who these rebels are. So we think about uh, the annoying colleagues <laughs> at work or people who are troublemakers or acrylic jerks and show-offs. And I really think that we need to shift our thinking there because arrogance is not a characteristic of the rebel. In fact, humility is. And I would also give a little story. And I would give a story that comes from the restaurant. This is the story that I was told by the director of the front of the house there, whose name is Giuseppe Palmieri. This is a, uh, imagine a Friday night, it's about 8 p.m., and a family of four is welcomed into the restaurant by Palmieri. They get seated. Uh, it's the father, the mother, and two boys, one who's about eight-year-old and the other one is 14. And the father orders for everybody a tasting menu with 13 courses. And the courses include the dishes with foie gras, with so not the type of dishes that growing boys would hunger for. Now, the family was so excited to eat there that not only they got a reservation for Friday night, they also got a reservation for Saturday night. So it's now 24 hours later, the same family is back to the restaurant. Palmieri welcomes them back, and then he gets the order. And this time, the father very happily goes for a tasting menu that has 10 of the most popular dishes at the restaurant, one of which is called Snails Under the Earth. So imagine a, a dish that looks like a soup, but there are actually snails at the bottom of the plate, and they are covered by a foam of garlic and raw potato, and the earth is black truffle, nuts, and coffee. So again, not the type of dish that... Uh, young boy would like. And as Palmieri was taking the order, he saw almost a face of desperation on the face of the two boys. But the boys were keeping quiet 
and he turned to the eight-year-old and said, what would you like to have? And the boy went, pizza. Now, Osteria Franciscana is not a restaurant where you would find pizza. And yet Palmieri excused himself, ran to the phone, called the best pizzeria in Modena, and ordered the pizza. And about 20 minutes later, the pizza arrived on a taxi, and the pizza was served to the boys. He is a great example of a rebel. There are clear rules to follow in a three Michelin star restaurant, and yet he was able to keep his mind open and think creatively on the spot in a way that created a memorable experience, not only for the father and the mother, but also for the boys sitting at the table. So those are the rebels, people who break rules in a way that is constructive rather than destructive for the organization. See, what's interesting is that we're talking about rebel talent, and being rebellious isn't necessarily the innate quality that you're looking to highlight. You're looking more of the fresh thinking and original talent of the behaviors. In fact, if, if I may, let me just go through the eight um, qualities that you call out in the book. One is to seek out the new. Two is to encourage constructive dissent. Three is to open conversations, don't close them. Four is to reveal yourself and reflect. Five is to learn everything, then forget everything. Six is to find freedom and constraints. Seven is to lead from the trenches. And eight is to foster happy accidents. And I think that probably a majority of those can be mapped to the anecdote you just shared. And it's not just the nature. It probably is the nature of the, the restaurant owner to do these things naturally, which allowed him to rise to the top. However, could you, could you explore how people who are running businesses could look at these eight qualities of rebel talent and be able to foster and encourage that in all of their employees, not just for, you know, as they say, sometimes the, the troublemakers or the, the uh, standouts. Yeah, so you're right in saying that you don't have to be born rebel. In fact, being a rebel means really being committed to adopting uh, behaviors that are consistent with talents that we all have. In the book, I talk about five talents the talent for novelty, the talent for curiosity, the talent for authenticity, the talent for perspective, and the talent for diversity. And I truly believe that we all have these talents. It's just a matter of relying on them and using them more frequently and more often. And so when I think about leaders or business owners, I think about people who have a lot of potential in terms of creating the right environment for others to use their talents and inspiring them to do so. So you were mentioning um, the fact that, that the owner, Chef Massimo Boutura, was via Francescana. He definitely models the rebelliousness for others. And um, it really makes you want to adopt the same unusual way of doing things that he that seems to characterize him. One of the things that he does when he shows up at the restaurant in the morning is he put his chef's coat on and then usually takes a broom and go outside and cleans the street. And when I was there and I saw this, I was a little bit puzzled. And this one of the sous chefs um, looked at me and said, look, this is something that he does. He also uh, helps uh, unload the delivery trucks when they arrive. He takes on roles that you wouldn't expect him to take on. And in doing so, he makes you wonder why is he doing that? And the next question usually is, why is it that I'm not doing that? So I think that leaders who really uh, are rebellious are also people who 
tend to be contagious because they're modeling the right behaviors for others to use. I think that's a great point, that the right behaviors are contagious. I, I think that it's also important to note that many of the ways that people are rebellious, I remember an example you used in the book uh, about a, a restaurant in California that the industry standard for this fast food restaurant was giving um, two hours of training per workstation before having them go on. And this restaurant, and I'm sure you'll get the name right off the bat. Oh, it's Pat's Sudden Service, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Paul Sudden Service. They're actually based, they have stores in Tennessee and West Virginia. And as you said, they're impressive because in a context where McDonald's or other uh, big name type of restaurants give employees two hours of training per station, they give people 135 hours of training per station. So they really make them experts such that people then have the mind space to think about creative ways of solving problems or thinking about improvement to existing processes. It's quite impressive. Yes, and that's being rebellious in the same way as they're following a principled way of challenging assumptions, not just to get people... Exactly. Right. To get them and I'm glad that you mentioned the example because as I was writing and working on the book, I really tried my best also to go to context where you wouldn't necessarily expect a rebelliousness. And so I didn't want to study just incredibly successful startup or incredibly successful organizations. I really wanted to go to a wide range of businesses across all sorts of um, parts of the world and all sorts of industries to, to say that being encouraging rebelliousness is not specific to one industry or to one type of business or to one size, but it's something that can be embraced across the board. So one of the things that I've been doing since I've, I've started reading your book was I've been asking people every day, which of these eight seems like the most counterintuitive? Which of these eight hmm. characteristics? And the one that my friends and, and associates and clients have said is revealing yourself and reflecting. Can you talk mm -hmm. about what that is and why it's important in order for someone who is offering um, and looking to lead from this perspective? Yeah, we seem to uh, dwell a lot on our weaknesses. We do that quite well and quite naturally. And what revealing yourself and reflecting is all about is focusing on strengths instead, and really finding opportunity to be authentic. And that sometimes means uh, making ourselves vulnerable. This is something that a lot of leaders I've met in the past tend to resist. So when they have opportunities to talk to others or to give speeches, they focus on their success or things in the past that they've done well. When in fact, if they were to focus on their failures, on their struggles, they would connect with those listening much more easily. And so revealing ourselves is about making ourselves vulnerable, being willing to do so, and also uh, showing up on work with authenticity and with the willingness to play into our strengths. What type of preparation do you think that a leader needs to go through in order to start to share and reflect um, with others and who they have relationships with at work so that they don't think that it's, you know, inappropriate um, and also doesn't diminish their ability to lead. 
some, I think the part of it is recognizing this, that it's important and actually stating that it's important. One of the stories that comes to mind is the story of a very successful woman. Her name is Melody Obson, and she's currently the president of Aerial Investments, a money management firm in Chicago. And she actually started working at Aerial when she was 22, right off the bat after graduating. So not a lot of working experience. And the CEO, when she arrived, told her that she was going to be in room with very powerful people who have a lot of money, who feel entitled. But that didn't mean that her ideas would not be as good as the one of the people in the room. And so she was right from the bat, right from day one, given advice to and given the license really to be herself. And this was something that the CEO found valuable and stated quite clearly and explicitly to her as she started. And I think that in a lot of the businesses that had the opportunity to study, um, that's not the common way of thinking or the type of advice that you would receive on day one. So I think stating that is important and modeling the behavior uh, for others is, is key. And that's an important lesson for all business leaders is that the behavior that you demonstrate at work is what you're modeling for others. It's not just to be productive yourself, but it's also helping contribute to the climate that you're that you're responsible for in your workplace. Exactly, by being rebellious or uh, by being a curious uh, leader, you are showing the right behaviors for others. And as we know, um, um, people tend to follow, and people tend to look at others, especially those who are. Um, empower, if you will, in order to understand what's the best behavior, what are accepted behaviors. And so I think there is a lot of modeling that leaders can do uh, to really encourage rebelliousness. Well, Francesca, you have been so generous in sharing your ideas around rebel talent with us today. I want to thank you so much for talking about that whatever work that's not a source of inspiration is a source of frustration for sharing with us how cultivating rebel talents in others helps them become fully engaged, that people who are rebels aren't just the troublemakers or show-offs, but that is deeply rooted in humility and ethical behavior. And that story about um, the money management firm woman receiving that advice to always share your ideas no matter what, who, who's in the room is absolutely invaluable. Thank you so much for sharing with me today on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. And for people who are interested in learning more, there is a book website, rebeltalents.org. And on the website, they can find a little test. It's a rebel test. And it's a free assessment that can let you know which type of rebel you are and give you some feedback and some tips on other behaviors that you could um, pick up in order to fully be a rebel. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments, 
and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.